Welcome to Think Queerly, a thought leadership podcast that cultivates inclusion, understanding, and social evolution for a more accepting, equitable, and humane world. I'm your host, Darren Steele. I'm a personal leadership coach who empowers LGBTQ plus creators and change makers with their self-mastery to accomplish their goals, create a life they love, and make a difference in the process. On today's show, I'm going to be speaking with coach Jeremy Long. Now, Jeremy is a queer man, a coach, and a founder of the Conscious Queer Community. He's also the owner of Enhance Leadership as a leadership and organizational development coach. Now, his struggle with his self-esteem and acceptance of his sexuality have paved the way for him to support the journey of other queer men and has given him the purpose to share a brave and vulnerable side of himself to give other queer men permission to let go of trying to be perfect and embrace their true authentic selves and step into both personal and professional leadership. Jeremy now applies his experience in facilitation, emotional intelligence, and relationship systems um, to support queer and emerging leaders and teams who are ready to reach the next level in their development. Uh, You can find Jeremy at enhanceleadership.ca or his coaching community, which is CQ, the CQ community.com. All of those links will be in the show notes below. Enjoy the show. Jeremy Long, welcome. And thank you for joining me on the Think Really podcast today. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Well, this is a long time coming because we had a conversation on LinkedIn this probably at least two months ago. I think I remember it was cold and now it's warm. Um, I was posting a teaser kind of question um, hmm. on, on LinkedIn to see how people might respond specifically about, you know, what is self-mastery? Because we've got these terms, personal development, personal growth, uh, you know, they're sort of thrown around in very different ways. People mean, I think, a, a general, they have a general idea of what these things mean. But I, I, I hate the expression personal growth, just because it's, it just, it kind of doesn't make sense. It's, we all do that anyway, right? We're all going to grow personally, no matter what we do. And personal development almost sounds like it's a chore. Mm-hmm. And self-mastery for some people might almost sound a little too, I don't know, it might sound a little bit too robust. But I asked the question just to engage and and you popped in with mm-hmm. some really thoughtful insight. Um, I think you were mirroring back framing uh, how this applies to the LGBT community and why that's so important. Do you remember some of the ideas that you were bringing up at that time? It's funny now, I wish I had reviewed what I said in the comment because, but, but I feel like it would be similar to what I would say now, which would be around, you know, opportunities to push ourselves to grow, to, you know, to have an accurate self-assessment, you know, and take an inventory of who we are, but also to be championed, to grow and to, to develop, to be mentored, you know, to be shown a new way, to be challenged on a new way of seeing things, new perspectives. Um, you know, being developed to develop ourselves and to be developed by others. Yeah. Well, I think there's something to be said for queer people, for LGBTQ plus the the larger community, because for many LGBTQ people, 
they may be alone. Uh, they may not have had the kind of welcoming or loving family life that, that maybe other people did. And I'm not saying that doesn't happen to somebody that isn't queer, for example, but there can be certainly a lot of challenges growing up. Um, speaking as a gay man, something that uh, really spoke to me quite a number of years ago was this idea of gay shame mm -hmm. and how that held me back, how that sort of confused some of my approaches to success because I felt like the more that I was being public in things that I was saying online in my writing, I felt like I was exposing more of myself. And there was this unconscious tendency to, to pull back. Mm. And it's this sort of like learned oppression from not seeing yourself so uh, fully represented in culture or society that being able to break out of that, I think more of us as LGBTQ identified individuals who are in this sphere of personal development, um, not so much have a duty, but have perhaps a unique gift to see into that challenge. And I know that this is something that you do specifically in, in your work. You have a, a, feel free to respond to what I just said there. That was a long, right. long winded thing before we get into some of the work that you do. Yeah, I just I appreciated what you said about, you know, opportunity and then responsibility as well. I feel like queer people are faced with unique challenges. And I was really resonating when you said about the gay shame and wanting to hide parts of myself. And and I and I look now and I realize I'm not doing that now. I'm actually very embracing, very much embracing my sexuality in every sphere. Um, and but I don't know when did I cross that line into learning how to do that, because I remember not feeling capable or comfortable doing that. And it's probably because I leaned so far into where I go, which was working in queer health, you know, and working in community and, and having to be that model of accepting myself so that other people could see that. And that's, that is why I'm passionate about working with queer leaders specifically to help them develop and believe in themselves and build their confidence. But um, not everyone has that opportunity or, or that inclination to, to, challenge themselves to learn how to be that comfortable. I think it's what we all want, but maybe are not guided in the direction of, you know, leaning all the way in. Yeah. There's a, there's a couple of books. I, um, Alan Downs wrote uh, The Velvet Rage, uh, yes. where he speaks a lot about gay shame. And I don't know if he kind of coined the term or at least highly popularized and really spoke about it. Um, and uh, Raymond Rigoglioso wrote the book, uh, Gay Men and the New Way Forward. Now, gay men, those books were specifically for gay men, but there's certainly a great possibility to, to extract some of the ideas to people who are identified as queer. One would have to take those ideas and, and, and more specifically do research for lesbians, for trans people. But there is this aspect of either being oppressed or being suppressed or feeling like you're on the margins and not being able to uh, see yourself represented in the world. <clears throat> and so some of the outcomes in adulthood is perhaps there was this uh, term coined, I think it was in the eighties, the best little boy in the world that right. spoke to gay men where gay men would grow up and become super high achievers and type a, and they'd try and excel in like C level positions because they were like, it wasn't so much look at me. It was like, love me. 
respect me, tell me that I'm good enough. And if I work so hard and I'm so busy producing, no one will ask me about my personal life. I won't have to then come out. Right. And I'm mentioning that because of what you just said, this aspect of maybe not fully loving yourself or recognizing who you are, Mm -hmm. vulnerabilities, shame at all, so that you can shine a light on it and do whatever work is necessary to then, um, I guess, well, master what those emotional triggers were that take you down as opposed to lift you up. Yeah, I like that you said that about triggers, because I think that it's two pieces to this development. I feel like it's mastering the the triggers. It's like overcoming the challenge. And mm. my coach, my coach watched me do a lot of that. And she said, you're always trying to come up to zero. And then I came up to zero. And then I feel like it's the second part about what they talked about in the Velvet Rage was that last phase where you actually just decide who you are and just celebrate it and lean into that and not worry about it being right or wrong or fitting in the, the right type of little boy, you know, or the right type of gay. Uh, it's, it's just it's figuring out who you are and then and launching yourself into that and just honoring all of your values as unique as they may be. And, and some people don't have that. I mean, I felt like I was always trying to come up to zero, so I didn't know how to create and figure out who I wanted to be. I was just trying to have enough. Mm-hmm. So... And again, some people are not given those opportunities. So it's an interesting, um, I don't know if we want to call it a a metaphor, just coming up to zero, but so that I understand, so the listener understands Mm. what does that, what does that mean to you? Or is that, was that a term that were perhaps was with your coach or in therapy that is, is common because I've not heard it phrased that way or this experience (laughs) phrased in that way. Yeah. it's definitely not anything that's been like coined by anyone. It was just a, a metaphor, I guess, that my, my coach re- like used to help me understand that, you know, I was always scrambling to cope, I guess, and to identify the challenges and, and just, I, I was always still in the overcoming phase and, and not ever kind of feeling confident enough to step out and do things for myself. I was always seeking the answers and feeling nervous to take risks and, and, you know, getting my finances and my well-being in order. Like I, I was still taking all these steps towards feeling grounded enough to actually start creating for myself. Interesting. Yeah. How long, so, how long to, uh, sorry. So I continue. Uh, just the, a snippet of that is like having overcome substance abuse and, you know, and I realizing that I, I wasn't where I thought I should be at my age at a certain time um, and looking back and, and wishing that I was where I where wishing that I had gone further um, and so I had that sort of inner inner critic that self-sabotage voice that was just telling me I wasn't where I should be and I think that now I realize especially from coaching so many people that we all have that voice and that yeah. it shows up in different ways and and again it wasn't so much about always coming up to zero it was actually just realizing that we all have strengths and limitations and identifying them and having some acceptance and some compassion about them. Yeah. Is it, if you, if, if this is not a question you want to dive into, but at least as a a bit of a segue, um, Mm -hmm. substance abuse. I mean, I worked with a a one client in particular a while ago that uh, was a a long-term alcohol free for about 25, 30 years 
but it was quite quite an interesting journey hearing his story about how that was the way to literally black out, literally and figuratively, um, from you know wanting to admit, wanting to deal with, wanting to face his gay identity, mm-hmm. uh, and how that was so connected with his upbringing, his religious upbringing. Um, and, you know, that's, that's just really, I don't want to say haunted him, but it's definitely been something he's been continuously working on. Mm. How, how much of, I'd love to hear more of your experience, or if you wish to frame it around work that you've done with clients specifically those that are LGBTQ or if it's just gay men that you've been working with and how much of a challenge this is uh, for our community. Mm. Yeah, that's a great topic. And I I mean, obviously, the statistics show that people in the queer community are higher risk of, you know, suicide and facing uh, substance abuse and um, domestic violence and and problems in relationships. And this is where uh, yes, I think specifically as a gay person, like I didn't feel comfortable being in a very conservative town that probably contributed to me wanting to drink. I think that yeah. me being a person who ex- experiences anxiety also probably yeah. contributed to me wanting to self-medicate um, right. for, you know, for my, I just, I guess I'm saying this because there's many variables, there's many intersections and, and, and speaking to intersectionality, like we all at some point feel like we have been marginalized. Every every person has some experience of that. And so, yes, I think the queer community suffers more and self-medicates more um, and has not been developed as much and given the opportunities as much. And also many other people have had a similar experience. So I do feel like it's an issue that, you know, contributed to my drinking as being gay, but also there's many other pieces. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's very astute the way you've explained that. I mean, we could have an entire five hour podcast talking about uh, the intersectionality of all the different things that come up that that make this happen and and self-medicating or finding mm-hmm. a better word for it because, it, it, you know, it could be excessive masturbation. It could be excessive amount of sex or risk involved with that, or it could be gambling or it could be high speed, you know, car racing, or, you know, it could be any one of these things that every single person on this planet may have to deal with at some point of time and to reframe that from self-medicating to self-care, I think is a really important one. And to recognize, you know, the, the various tools and practices that we can put into place and knowing when, you know, Hey, it's maybe okay to go out and party one night, whether, whether that be, you know, some drug or some alcohol, if that's appropriate for you, but can you manage it? Um, and that's, that's the bigger question. And I think this is also where I do a lot of work with emotional intelligence and and train folks and leaders. And, and it kind of speaks to, you know, that emotional awareness, like what's happening for me? What am I thinking? What's the story I'm making up about my life and about myself and, and what's, what's happening in my emotional experience and how do I manage it? How do I build the self-confidence while having an accurate (laughs) self-assessment and managing myself so that I can interact with other people in a healthy way. And again, it just speaks to, you know, 
having that awareness of what's happening and getting curious, but also having people speak into your life and, and share, hey, did you know this is how you're showing up in the world? Which is, I've had a lot of people, <laughs> a lot. It takes a village. And I have had a t- giant city of people <laughs> that have spoken into my life in, in inspiring, challenging, and motivating ways to help me in my development. Thanks. You mentioned emotional intelligence, and I've worked with a couple of clients that really had a tough time being able mm-hmm. to find words. And um, I recently picked up, I was just looking to see if it was sitting nearby uh, Atlas of the Heart by Brene Brown, because oh, yeah. in that book, at least, and I haven't, I've only read the introduction, she's going through a list of emotions and trying to categorize them and trying to give them a way in which to understand them. I have a, like, an emotions wheel. Uh, that. <laughs> Yeah. And I've had to actually bring that out when I ask somebody like, how do you feel? You know, my training with, you know, behavioral change science and neuroscience, understanding what you're feeling or understanding what emotional drive is going on is so important. And I know for you, this is where I'd like to, you know, have you shine a little bit more is your work with uh, queer men's groups. This is not something I've ever partaken in. Um, And I know that there's in men's groups, in many men's groups, one of the big things is understanding one's emotions. And I'd love for you to, you know, talk about that and talk about your work specifically in that area. Yeah, thank you. It's uh, very exciting. I love that my career has got many different legs to it, the leadership clients and, and the queer men's group is a huge part of uh, another leg of my my work that I love doing, and it's um, there's a there's a men's work movement that some people are familiar with, where the modern man is is getting back in touch with his emotions and taking responsibility and kind of having an equal balance of what they would call the feminine and the masculine energy, and and identifying how to be somewhat of a some of the language is becoming like a spiritual warrior or um, the, the modern man. And and so I attended some of these groups for uh, a while, a couple of years, and started noticing that there was a lot of commonalities amongst what, what we're all straight men in my groups. And like they all had a similar story to not knowing how to get in touch with how they felt. And so I was witnessing this and being in this work and, and a lot of great people learning how to be better communicators and better in relationships and take responsibility for their triggers and, and heal them. Lots of mm-hmm. self-healing. And I knew that this was needed in the queer community. And I knew that not everyone <laughs> is as driven for self-development as I am and, and learning how to love myself the most like I am. Um, and so I knew that some people in the queer community wouldn't feel comfortable going into these men's work spaces because it's, it's very heteronormative and yeah. some of the language, it's just, it's just not caught up with the queer, you know, the community. So I started um, leading queer men's groups uh, virtually, hopefully to go to in person um, in the future. And it's yeah. just a space where, it's a space where sometimes people haven't had the ability to say exactly what they need to say to identify what they're feeling, like you said, learning how to get in touch with that. It's kind of like, I would call it emotional education. It's an element uh, that, of, of um, learning how to be with your emotions, learning how to be in conflict. Like we, we initiate con- conflict into the groups so that people can learn how to 
um, face judgment, you know, and also oh. to give criticism and get uncomfortable and be okay in discomfort because a lot of, um, a lot of gay men, a lot of queer people, I think I'll speak for myself have become pleasers have become nice so we can avoid conflict because that's what we may have had to do when we were young. And so to get comfortable being in conflict is something that I think is very important. And I was very avoidant. And now I get very excited about conflict because ruptures in relationships lead to stronger repairs and stronger bonds. And so all of this is what happens in some of the groups. And some of it just comes down to um, being able to be seen and mm. celebrated for all of your uniqueness, to be challenged, to be better when you don't know what you're putting out into the world, and also mm. just to be loved in the process. So that's a, that's that's so a lot about what the groups are about. Yeah, it's it, it's so interesting, especially you know being able to deal with conflict. Um, so often we, it's 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 an almost an unavoidable missed opportunity if you don't have the training because when conflict happens it's so fast and you know whether it's our animal brain or our reptilian brain just turns on shuts down logical thinking and you, you're screwed you are not going to be able to have a logical reasoned argument until you can calm down all the animals in the cage so to speak <laughs> uh, but to be able to have that container and to you know, say, okay, we're going to move into conflict. Okay. And then we're going to go into conflict and we've got the opportunity to support and we got the opportunity to talk through what am I feeling? Yeah. Um, you know, it, honestly, it's kind of like, I'm, I'm imagining myself in that situation. It would scare the shit out of me, but I know it would be a good thing for me at the same time. <laughs> well, and it, and it comes in waves and, and, you know, in practices, like you said, training, like there's opportunities to learn just some basics about conflict that are so helpful. Um, yeah. Nonviolent communication, great place to start for people. That's where I learned that I can't say, you made me mad. I can right. say, I'm mad. And that's an uh -huh. impact of something that you may have done. But I'm yeah. mad. And I take responsibility for my emotions. You know, like literally that skill alone has changed how I communicate because I cannot blame or project anything onto anyone. Taking responsibility is so big. That, thank you for mentioning that. It's it's a sore point with some people I know or things I've written in the past. I'm a big advocate for personal responsibility, and I don't mean personal responsibility in a libertarian sense, uh, but I mean in a sense of I own and must own my own actions and feelings, and I can't blame other people Mm -hmm. for how I'm feeling or what's going on in the world. So if I want to create change, I'm going to have to figure out how to be the change such that I might inspire others who then might also want to take my lead. And I just wrote something from earlier on, you said something that made me think, knowing your emotions is mm -hmm. personal responsibility. Yes. If we want to be better leaders, if we want to empower others, we have to know what we're feeling, why we're feeling, what brings that on, what what are the things that come along the way, like the ingredients that make the recipe for us to feel great or to lose our shit entirely, <laughs> right? And um, yeah, there's something to be said for that. And we don't need to be perfect. Yeah. 
we don't need to be perfect at it. What I, what I love is uh, I, I coach a lot of executives and, and VPs and managers so, who, you know, feel like, well, I have to learn how to master this, like owning my triggers, my reactions. But the thing is that it, you can also make a decision. You can influence, impact someone even in a negative way. And you can, yeah. you know, have that impact, as long as you take responsibility for the impact. And so you can you can even say something that pisses someone off as a leader and it'd be OK. And, and it's not great. And you don't want there's a lot of pleasers that I work with don't want to upset someone. But you can say it, but then just validate what, what landed for the person. Again, it, like responsibility and validating other people's experience, even if it's different yes. than yours. What's well, so important to find that distinction between, uh, you know, some people that aren't quite as attuned to what's going on with themselves emotionally or lacking sort of yeah. the self-awareness of personal responsibility will always think that they're being attacked or judged. Um, like you said, you made me angry. It's like, I would always counter that or, or, or the one that really freaks people out is when they say, well, you know, I was with this person and they broke my heart. I said, they didn't break your heart. Yeah. And it's a, it seems like a horrible thing to say, but it is being able to recognize that's an aspect of forgiveness and that's an aspect of healing. It's like, yes, that person may have done really horrible things. Mm -hmm. However, you also made choices and or were so attached, which is human, mm -hmm. to that person, to all the behaviors, to all of the routines that made up that relationship whether this be a lover or whether this be a work relationship that is negatively impacting your health, right? You, you may or may not have been able to find the solutions at the time to move past it. Now, if you're here having this conversation with a coach like yourself or me, now we can actually work through, okay, let's clean this up <laughs> so that you can better understand that and you're going to evolve in your self-mastery so yes. that you can show up more empowered, more as who you wish to be. I love that because speaking about relationships, which is also what comes up a lot in the men's groups, is understanding that, you know, everyone feels like they're right on both sides yeah. of a relationship, in every team. We all have this element of it must be right. It must be them, right? And that defensiveness comes up, the blame, stonewalling, all of those four toxins. But, you know, understanding that, in my systems coaching, we talk about how everyone gets to be right partially. And yes. there's always two truths happening and identifying how you can just get on the same team. You don't even have to agree, but just getting on the same team, like is solving this conflict within our relationship. Let's make that a priority that we are both on board with. And that changes how we see the conflict. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I wish I could remember off the top of my head. Uh, I have a, a philosophical article bookmarked about um, <laughs> truth. And it, it, it talks about um, this aspect that, that, that truth is really uh, socially constructed, mm. whether it's a small group or a large group. I mean, it could just be a family unit. It could be an entire nation, right? But there is an agreement and there, you know, if it's on a line there, there's a divergence, you know, to the left or the right of how true people believe that is. And that's what we're seeing so much in the, the, the polarizing challenges in the world today is this aspect of um, like not even validating what people consider to be true 
and, and just going to such extremes. So when an individual believes something to be true that goes against everything else, that is a very challenging um, situation to deal with. This is true. And some people don't even have that sort of ability to speak their truth, to share, to be bold. And there's a line in, um, I think it's called Fierce Conversations. And the author said, the truth is like poetry and most people hate poetry. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, And being able to speak your truth and be, you know, having those fierce conversations is another part to the conflict. It's like being able to speak up for what I want and need. Yeah. 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 You mentioned something um, in our conversation. And I just want to look at what you wrote here. We were, we were talking about self-development for queer people and mm -hmm the healing that we have to do and our transformational potential beyond what we know is possible. And I love that beyond what we know is possible. So speak to me about that. I love that. I love hearing back what I wrote as well, which is really nice because <laughs> I, I feel that again, depending on your background, your experience, perhaps like the, the next possible life that you are sort of, capable of you just don't know it yet we don't know mm -hmm. what what we don't know and and again i wouldn't i look back at where i where i've come from and to where i am now i didn't even think that where i am now was possible like where i right. live how much money what i'm doing the impact i'm making in the world uh, i didn't believe in myself enough and it wasn't until people challenged that thinking and my language that i was using about myself to you know, bump me up to help me believe, and for this is what you know about coaching as well. Like we believe that the person is always you know creative, resourceful, and whole, even if they don't. And that's yeah. what's so beautiful about being a coach, because I, I get to hold that belief in you, even if you don't feel it yet. And I champion you to know that it's possible. Yeah. And I know that for me, the coaching that I've received over the years has been. It's the, the most transformational that I've, that I've had in my life because I was shown who I could be. I was believed in, and I call a lot of these people my believers, that have shown me what's possible, you know, and challenged me to try something that I, initially I would have thought was terrifying. And then I go out and try it and I report back, oh, look what I just did. And there's so many moments, and I love that when, other, when my clients are, look what I just did. You know, it's like, oh, I didn't know I could do that. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. It's, you know, it's definitely a combination of um, we're in our own heads and I don't know what the exact or approximate number is, but I think I read somewhere that we, we pretty much think about seven times fast than what we can speak uh, out of our mouths. And we also think in circles, right? So yes. if you're speaking like we're doing now, at least it can be linear. And yes. you may have a whole bunch of thoughts and, and, I, and I may like walk down a little bit of a path and find my way back. But you know, I'm, I'm kind of going in one direction. But in your yeah. head, suddenly you're like squirrel, you know, like my dog. And you're just completely distracted by, yeah. by something else. Um, so you may be thinking through, you know, who am I and what are my gifts and what are my talents and what do I know or what have I accomplished? Looking over the last 10 years as an example. But a really good coach is going to listen for that, that uh, to say that nugget is a disservice to the work we do. It's, it is mm. such a, a, a kind of an intuitive thing that 
simply comes from the practice of coaching and really deep listening and asking questions and often seeing the person's body language or hearing the change in the tone of voice. And maybe somebody will say something, voice goes down a little offhand and that, that was it because they're, that is the thing that has so much growth potential, but they're still afraid of it. And mm -hmm. but that's where our growth lives in, in taking risk. And so if, if our role is to cultivate, um, the nourishment <laughs> for that growth potential, um, then, then, you know, I feel when I see that happen, like when you see that happen, it's like, oh, I've done my job. <laughs> I love that because it is, it is a beautiful moment. I had one of my favorite moments was when a client was, you know, he was like, well, there's this job, but I, I wouldn't apply for that. You know, just it was a promotion, but he's like, but I'm not, you know, I'm not accredited for that. I don't remember his language, but I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. let's pause. Why, why, mm -hmm. why not? Why wouldn't you consider that? You know, and it was just something literally that we don't always know is possible or that it would be for us, you know, but yeah. he brought it to the session. So, of course, I picked on it. I was like, what's there? <laughs> what are, yeah, what's the yeah. story you're making up about that? You know, and yeah. we unpacked sort of the, the behind the scenes thinking that we don't always know. Like you said, there's like a lot going on in the background. And he thought that he wasn't, you know, experienced enough, that he wouldn't be good at it and that it wouldn't be rewarding. And all of these things he proved wrong when he applied, got it, and was really proud of himself for doing that. Amazing. The personal narrative is an expression that's really shown up, I guess, in the last you know five, ten years. And and marketing and branding says you know uh, like um, storytelling is a way of you know like selling. But this is Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey, and this has Love been ingrained. It society and our and our and our lives right yeah um what have you seen in individuals or in group people's personal narratives especially about around being gay or queer and how that has perhaps hindered them or whether or not that's been helpful especially in some of the leadership work that you would be doing with let's say mm -hmm. a, a queer executive um and 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 whether or not that is part of your your process or their process if 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 them working with you was the need to to come out or to at least be comfortable mm -hmm. with their sexual or gender identity yeah i would say that a lot of people are the one-on-one -on -one work it is a lot of people are drawn to me because i'm gay and because they're gay and wanting to be more comfortable because they see me kind of being out and loud and proud about it so that is something yeah. that people yeah. have sought me out for but also in the groups that there's, you know, there's an element of, we, we did a coming out story, some of us in, in mm -hmm. one of the groups and it, it talked, you know, some of the people, the participants mentioned how they had some shame around it. And, and one of them, I did actually pause in the group and I invited him challenged, <laughs> depends on how you look at it, uh, to, to kind of state what was the storyline in the background? What was the narrative? What was, um, you know, I think he, I had him fill in a prompt, like, I'm not good enough because, and kept yeah. filling it out and filling it out to really, like, put it all outside of himself so that, you know, it could be witnessed. This is what I'm telling myself, you know, here you go, everyone, and being seen for that. And and also being, you know, people putting their hands up, like, yeah, I, I believe that about myself, too. But then having him challenge himself to, I'm good enough because, and fill in the blanks. And it all spoke to his sexuality, 
you know, in his history and, and the messages that we receive from our environment, from our peers, parents, teachers, you know, family around our queerness specifically and being, I guess, encouraged to let go, to even just to identify that there is a story. You know, being asked, what's the story you're making up about that? Some people have never even thought of that. Oh, I'm making up a story that I'm not good enough because I'm gay. Well, what's true about that? Yeah. What what, what else is possible? What's another way to look at that? And being asked these questions that take us to the place of, oh, I could look at this in a different way. And I didn't know that. This is, um, I learned that technique and it was, described to me as sentence stems, you know, you know, I'm not good enough because, or, um, with someone I'm thinking of is, uh, I'm not lovable because, Mm -hmm. and the suggestion was you have to complete 10 of these sentence stems. And then I am lovable because, and it was interesting that it was very easy for him to get the 10 negatives. Yes struggle to get past three and then the fourth one and just for the positive which was not shocking on on the one hand because as 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 human beings we we tend to focus on the negative in the sense of we're always looking for uh stresses or threats in the world to determine if we're safe and uh, i forgot the name of the author that talks about um uh stress or negativity is is like velcro it sticks to us whereas something positive or great is like teflon it just slides off because we have that ephemeral moment of oh this is lovely and wonderful but then the parts of our brain just go back to are we safe in our environment is this person going to be nice to me if i'm reading something on social media is somebody writing something negative about something i wrote ah fuck and then we're down into like you know the negative spiral and then whatever was good five minutes ago that was like last year right yes but it at least for me i have found that to be such a revealing exercise mm-hmm. that you might think I'm just not good enough, but no one's ever challenged you to write 10 sentences that detail explicitly what you're not good enough for. Yes. Yeah. And having that witnessed mm-hmm. by others is also quite powerful because then it gives opportunity for a deeper connection, which also is part of the groups is because there's a bond that's needed that I, did, I thought I was alone in hating myself, you know, mm-hmm. with that feeling like this, that you didn't, I'm the only one that's like this. And then you realize, oh, we all have that. We all have that brain protecting us by talking shit in our ears and bringing us down. It's actually trying to keep us safe and it's normal, right? And I also tell people that that, that muscle is usually very strong. And so we have to practice, you know, the affirmations. And I used to think affirmations were so cheesy, you know, this wellness-focused world, but it's actually the secret (laughs) because we have to have a comeback line for that part of our thinking that's very negative. We have to say, well, wait a second. I'm also the guy that is pretty good, pretty strong, pretty resilient, pretty whatever, you know, and have a list of things. Maybe it's accomplishments. We also forget about our accomplishments, you know, we don't list the things that we've done well. I actually get clients yeah. to often do an accomplishment wall or file so that they have something to look at that lifts them up again. Because otherwise our brains just take us down. Like you said, it's natural. Yeah, I like that. I um, I think I've had this on my agenda for some point. I have kind of a little... <laughs> 
dreams board over here, but I have I a see thank that, you yeah. note. I have a thank you note from a former client many, many years ago, I, uh, like a former personal training client from like decades mm-hmm. ago. But it was just such a thoughtful message from somebody that was a very, very high up uh, C-level executive at the bank, that very little time, um, you know, canceled 50% of his appointments just because mm-hmm. that was the kind of life he lived. That he took the time to send me a thank you message was also for me the importance of the thoughtfulness of that message. And it's just a reminder because he also verbalized many times during our work together how how much he appreciated and 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 needed to know that I was there, that when he could make it, he would be able to, you know, have this time to focus on his health. Mm-hmm. knowing that it wasn't near enough that he needed, but it was the best that he could do. Mm-hmm. So there was, there was something wonderful about that. I want to come back to affirmations because I did a what I called a debunk article about affirmations. <laughs> and I don't know how you handle affirmations, but I just gave them a, a different term, like statements of truth. Because yeah. affirmations traditionally are like, I am lovable, I am kind, I am rich. And so what I wrote about is like, but is that true? Because yeah. if you're not rich and you keep saying you're rich, your brain is going to be like, screw you. You're not rich. Look at your bank account. You're $20,000 in the rent. If you say, I am lovable because, like this yes. sentence stand, right? Yeah. I am improving my finances by doing ABC, then you're rooting that affirmation in a positive action. And that is is the juice right i do like what you said about that because i i agree to some level that i i know that if you're claiming something that's very far from reality right now it actually yeah, can yeah. cause a dissonance and it actually can yeah. make you feel worse mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and that's where i think it's it gets confused with goals if you're writing goals as if it's already happened that's one thing and that's that's not mm-hmm. necessarily an affirmation right like i have a yeah, yeah. million dollars like that's not happening right now Uh, but it's, it could be a, it's more in the, you know, the goals, but an affirmation, like you said, is, is something that's more about who you are, I think. And that's where, again, practicing, you know, like it's a, it's a claim to yourself. It's a reminder of who you are and it's something a little bit more tangible. I had something else I wanted to say about that and it slipped my mind now, but it'll come back. (laughs) It'll come back. Yeah. Well, maybe you can transition into sort of like the, the, the last, um, idea that I sort of want to talk about with you, which is we're talking about um, if, if we don't take care of ourselves as, as queer people or understand our emotional intelligence and take personal responsibility for that, which will improve our leadership skills and capacity and just our general well-being and contentedness, mm-hmm. uh, we're going to miss out on opportunities in life or we won't strive Mm. high enough and you know being mindful that some of us might be very type a as a way of like being best little boy in the world right so there's that sort of tension but if you know this is some of what we had talked about earlier if 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 queer people don't feel safe to be themselves or in the environments in which they're working they're going to be and these are your words always shapes shifting, always trying to fit in to the environment instead of being accepted and belonging because they're having to do this out of protection. And you're like sick of this. You want this to stop. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that that's uh, in my life. I'll speak from my own experience, just not knowing how to just feel, feel comfortable to share who I am. And, and, you know, being queer is a part of that. And, yeah. and I can give it, I wanted to share a little example. Like last night, I, I joined this motorcycle group just for a, wow. for a night, a night ride. Cause I've been riding for five years, but I don't ride in groups. And I, cause I'm intimidated because motorcycle groups are kind of intimidating. You show up and it's all these guys that I will say looked kind of bro -y. Um, and yeah. it's very masculine energy, you know, and I, and I, and I'm glad I showed up and, and then I got to our destination at the end of the ride and, and I sat down and I just started talking. Like I celebrate myself now and having worked in queer health and with queer leaders, you know, I, I own my sexuality, but I didn't before. And I just shared it. And, and the guy that I, I definitely saw as potentially this could be an uncomfortable moment that I'm outing myself. You know, he's like, oh, well, I'm straight, but, you know, I, I used to go and get tested at the, the Queer Health Center. And I was like, Phew. and I say that because it's this moment that we miss opportunities by hiding and, and not showing ourselves to be accepted. In that yeah. moment, if I had held back, it, it still would have been a lovely time, but I would have missed an opportunity to be accepted for who mm -hmm. I am in my sexuality. And because I was allowed myself to be vulnerable and brave, you know, mm. it, it got me that little extra connection. And if and if it hadn't have gone well, it would have given me great information to get out of there. That That's even better. And so I do think that I, I we do see people in leadership and especially senior leadership positions. There's not as many queer people moving up um, based on it's not proportionate to the, the population, unfortunately. And so that tells us some things that people are still hiding themselves and not showing fully who they are. And I think sometimes it's just a missed opportunity based on, again, that inner critic voice that's just pausing us and trying to keep us safe. And I think there's many examples of this. I was talking to someone high up at uh, Telus, which is our local um, company, you know, mobile um, tech company in, in Canada. And this person was saying that it's, you know, he was going up for a promotion and he was trying to act a little more straight going into his interview. And then he showed up at the interview and he had spent more time thinking about showing up as more straight and not on his actual performance. And he shows up and the person interviewing him is more clear, um, you know, showing than he is. And so he actually didn't spend time prepping for his actual role. He prepped on being more straight. Yeah. And it's just this funny thing where we, where we put our focus. And if we just allow ourselves to just be who we are, and again, sometimes this does need coaching. This does need therapy. I'm a big advocate for that. Or just something, yeah. something where you're focused on your personal development, where you, again, self-mastery is what I'll change that to, <laughs> where you are learning how to own and accept who you are. And sometimes that needs to be with other queer people. Sometimes it needs to be around straight people. I learned so much about being loved and surrounded by straight men in those men's groups. Yeah. I, I cried and showed myself to these people who I thought I would be judged by. And they held me and hugged me and said I was amazing. So there's all these opportunities. And if you want it, it's available to you. You just have to seek it out. Wow. You know, and certainly there are challenges when interviewing up the corporate ladder, so to speak, depending mm -hmm. on the level of like diversity, equity and inclusion and whether or yes. not senior management is either mostly white or mostly male and yes. it, it can be it it's so it can be so difficult to penetrate that culture which is why people might try to adapt and fit in 
wearing the same clothes, going out with the boys after work. I mean, I'm not in the corporate world enough to know how much that has changed. But when I was still personal training, I was working out of um, the financial district in Toronto. So I was exposed to, um, well, most of my clients were either lawyers or were in finance. That was mm -hmm. primarily the towers that they were coming from. And there were some, there were a couple of clients and specifically more, I think in real estate where that was still the boys club. Yeah. And I, I just couldn't imagine when I was hearing some of the stories, you know, how would a person like me, I had no interest, but how would a person like me break into something like that? Because I know I wouldn't hide myself, mm. but I'd probably get into trouble. Because I would just open my mouth and I would, in the sense of I would not tolerate certain behavior, which, you know, is sometimes good and sometimes not so good for getting to where you want to go. Yeah. So it's it's a bit of a double-edged sword, right? Like, how right. Have you had I, to deal with this with particular clients? I think this is where sometimes it also leans into the organization needs right. to take responsibility because you're right. Some cultures, it hasn't changed. I, I'm doing some leadership training for queer people and women in the trades. And okay. it's it's still it's still a boys' club. It's still a tough environment. And legally, you know, ethically it's not. It's a it's an inclusive space. The the language in North America is you need to be inclusive, right? Especially in Canada. Mm -hmm. You need to be inclusive. There's a focus on diversity, equity, inclusion, you know, and that's that's languaged a lot, but it's not practically integrated as much as it needs to be and you know we've all we've always got a long way to go but um that is an area where it it is up to the organization because the individuals there may be some people that are willing to be like you or me that are going to stand up and be, maybe be disruptors and i think that's important mm -hmm. and needed the the people that are the early adopters and and the you know the change makers the loud mouths sometimes um mm -hmm. but it also needs to fall on the organization and just leaders in general, whether you're a manager or you're the CEO, it doesn't matter, but learning how to create those not even inclusive spaces sounds not even like the right word, but psychologically safe spaces where right. even you can disagree with the fact that I'm gay if you want, but at least it's a safe space for me to be gay, right? I think that that's actually what matters more than like, you don't even need to like me, but you need to respect me. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Maybe just a couple of questions to, to wrap things up. What would, sure. what's your core message? Like if you have a philosophy or a, uh, a purpose statement, like what, is there something that you really live by and or advocate from? Yeah, it's funny because you're bringing me back to my earliest mission statements that are my purpose statement that I created and I, nothing else is coming to me. So I'll just share what it is. Um, it's so in my, in my coach training years ago, uh, we, we created a purpose statement, but mine is kind of like a metaphor. So it is that I am the Jedi master who dares to awaken the force within others. <laughs> oh, wow. That's great. Yeah. And I, and I guess my, sometimes that feels a little bit like my, naive coach in me, but I, I am, that is my calling. That's my calling statement. My right. statement for life and for people and for my clients 
is don't stop trying and don't stop growing because you don't know what's possible until you take a step forward. Yeah. Yeah. And at least you have the, the, the tools and the training and the skills to help people with that not stopping. Yeah. I feel like I want to wordsmith that a little bit, but yeah, that's the essence of it. Like <laughs> we, we can do more. Yeah. We can all do more. We just don't know it sometimes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And for, for me, it's around the efficiency of doing more, not doing more in the sense of being so cumulative that you run out of time and you run out of energy and you run out of mm -hmm. life. Right. But it's like what this works perfectly with the last question I wanted to ask you. It's like if you if there was only one I love this idea of the one thing when you're choosing for your morning or your day or your week or your year, if there was, if there's only one thing that you're going to be passionate about and you're going to be working on for the rest of this year, what is that one thing for Jeremy? Mm, that's interesting. My one thing now is, yeah. is just getting out of my own way. It's uh, it's not standing at the door, holding the doorknob, thinking about what's on the other side. It's just opening the goddamn door. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Have you got us? Have you got a, a small step strategy to open that door more often? <laughs> uh, yes and no. Now that I'm I'm doing a lot more coaching and and it, my coaching career is taking off in different interesting ways. It's yeah. um, It's it's just actually uh, in coaching we learn a lot about coaching and we learn a lot about yes. people and a lot about EQ. And we don't learn a lot about sales and we don't learn a lot about negotiation. And this is a beautiful opportunity where I'm learning a lot. I'm, I'm, I mentor others and I'm being mentored, right? And I'm, nice. and I'm connecting to a lot of people that are challenging me to play a little bigger than I thought was possible. And it's quite exciting and this much scary and so worth it. So worth it. Yeah. Good. I could see how inspired you were by that. <laughs> There's an energy behind just, that. Yeah, it's just, I didn't know. If I could look back at the me, even just like two or two to three years ago, I would be shaking him like, you have no idea what is possible. Yeah. And it is so exciting when you get there. Yeah, it's just, it's just great. So, and it's all due to, you know, just having the right people that have believed, yeah. supported, challenged. Yeah. And also just been tender to me when I was feeling all my feels because I'm a heavy feeler, yeah. highly sensitive person, um, super critical of myself. So, right. yeah, having all the support, it, it really, I think queer people, if you if that's one tip, um, get a team of people that believe in you and that support you in different ways. Have someone that mentors yeah. you and talks about money, have someone that is supportive of your emotions, have someone that you can just vent at, you know, have a, a board of directors, whatever you want to call it, have a, have a team. Life-changing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's great advice. Mm -hmm. So where can people find you? What would be the number one or two spots? Yeah. Great question. So the, um, the new website where you can find more of my sort of corporate work would be enhancedleadership.ca. That will be one way. Another way in the queer men space groups, that would be the cqcommunity.com or conscious queer community. And then I'm on Instagram 
uh, at journey number two, Jeremy, journey to Jeremy. Perfect. Yeah. I'll put those all in the show notes so they will be uh, clickable links. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate that we were able to uh, speak today and, uh, you know, in a simpatico way, talk about uh, coaching, but also in the empowering and uplifting uh, way in which we both wish to serve, um, mm -hmm. you know, the LGBT communities in, in different ways. Well, and I want to pause and just acknowledge you because I know the work that you put in. People don't know, like content creation and putting yourself out there and being vulnerable <laughs> and sharing personally about who you are. It takes a lot. I know that too. So I just want to really acknowledge the work you do. Like holding a space with the light shining on yourself in front of others is very powerful and brave and very, very special in our community. So thank you for your service. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. All right, Jeremy. Thank you again. Yeah, thank you.